Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi ladhina astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusri wa khatim al-anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya. Amma ba'd. Usually in our Tuesday class, we cover Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda's book, Ar Rasul Al Mu'allim. However, today, with us being three, four days away from Ramadan, I thought we'd spend the evening just discussing Ramadan and how to make the most of our fast, inshallah. How we can make the most of this amazing, blessed month that is just hours away from us. The month of Ramadan is special. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam treated it so. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had a schedule that was filled with so much good. Ibadah, community work, struggle, sacrifice. But when Ramadan came, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went a level even higher. So for those of us who, alhamdulillah, have a good routine outside of Ramadan, this is an opportunity, a chance for us to go even further. On the other hand, those of us who feel that throughout the year I'm constantly slacking and I'm falling behind, Ramadan is an opportunity to get a grip on your spiritual self. It's to wake up from this slumber, from this sleep, the constant state of ghafla, heedlessness that we are trapped in. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he, through his own practice, taught us how to go above and beyond when the month of Ramadan approaches. And in order to demonstrate this, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam began his preparation and his excitement in anticipation for the month of Ramadan months before it even arrived. This is how you show your excitement for something, that you prepare for it beforehand. Before you have a child, you decorate a room, you choose a name, you get excited about the child's arrival. You don't just wake up on the morning of and deliver the child and move on with life. The same goes with buying a home. You're all excited and ex you know, really amped about it getting a car, anything new, you're going to receive your parents from the airport after they've gone you know, to a foreign country for weeks, days. You're really excited about it. The Prophet ﷺ showed us how important the month of Ramadan was by investing in his preparation for the month. And I think the most clear example of this can be seen in the dua of the Prophet ﷺ. Dua is something very important because it shows what matters most to a person. When you're talking to the being that's most dear and most beloved, most beloved to you, you only talk about those things that matter. You don't talk about random things or useless things. When a person speaks to you know, a very high-end, super expensive lawyer, and they're paying for the hour, they don't waste their time talking about useless things. They talk about things that matter because they understand 
the value of this time. There is a price tag to it. The same goes with dua. The dua is an opportunity that a person has to communicate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not an opportunity to be missed out on. Very few people unfortunately even have the tawfiq to do dua. Most of us unfortunately snooze. Those of us who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does give that opportunity and ability to, this is a great gift from Allah. Having the desire to do dua. Raising your hands and actually speaking to Allah, calling out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It takes a special level of intimacy, a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be able to push yourself, enjoy and benefit from your dua. One of my mashayikh would say that if a person wishes to gauge where their relationship lies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the easiest way to do so is to see how long you can make dua without getting tired. Because a friend never gets tired of speaking to a friend. The Prophet's du'as were long and they were energetic and they were full of so much excitement. For example, we see that on the day of Arafah, after Nabi completed his Khutbatul Hajj of Arafah, right until Ghurub, which if you were to estimate is roughly somewhere around seven hours. How, what did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam do during this time? He did one thing, and that was dua. There was no salah during this time. It was one thing, it was dua. He had his hands raised, he was on Jabal Rahmah, on an elevated place. Everyone can see Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and his hands were so high that his underarms were exposed, and he had them raised before Allah, crying and making dua to Allah. So now we turn to the dua of the Prophet ﷺ and we see Nabi Wasallam's duas were very unique. They were all very special. He didn't use language that was inappropriate for dua. You don't find Nabi Wasallam making dua for a particular type of horse, camel, a particular description of a home because these were things that were beneath Nabi Wasallam. He asked for things that mattered. Allahumma inni as'aluka hubbak. Oh Allah asked for your love. He asked for a tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He asked for good akhlaq. He asked for pure character. Allahumma tahir qalbi min al-nifaq wa amali min al-riya wa aini min al-khiyana fa innaka ta'lamu kha'inat al-a'yuni wa ma tukhfi al-sudur. You look at the du'as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made to Allah and they were very wholesome, they were very pure, they were about spiritual growth, they were about excelling in the akhirah and growing there. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was particular what he made dua for. And if someone asked him to make dua for something, he would tell that person, are you sure this is what you want? Is this what you want me to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for? A person came to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said, O Messenger of Allah, make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants me wealth. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked, are you sure that's what you want? He said, yes. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam shrugged him off, shrugged him off. He kept insisting. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made the dua, Allah granted him wealth, he stopped coming to the masjid. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent a zakat collector, go and collect his zakat. He didn't give zakat. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam thereafter refused to take his zakat. He said, I won't take your zakat anymore. And that was the case throughout the khilaf of Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu, they both refused to accept that person's zakat. Following Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, when we turn to the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, we find there Nabi ﷺ, months before the month of Ramadan even arrived, he started praying, Allahumma barik lana fi rajaba wa sha'ban wa ballighna Ramadan. Oh Allah, bless the month of Rajab and Sha'ban. Make it special for me. And I ask this question to everyone today. First and foremost, did this dua even cross your mind? And secondly, what barakah did you experience in Rajab and Sha'ban? Where did you see growth? Did your tilawa increase? Did your psalm increase? Did your dhikr increase? Did your attendance in the masjid increase? Because if these things did increase, that means your preparation for Ramadan, inshallah, is on track. But for the rest of us, for the month of Ramadan, the month of Rajab and Sha'ban, were just other months of the year, there was nothing different. We ask ourselves, what preparation have we actually put into the arrival of Ramadan? Yet we still make dua for that last part, Allahumma ballighna Ramadan. 
O oh Allah, allow us to witness and see Ramadan. Every year when I hear of deaths that occur in Sha'ban, it shakes my heart. Because I think to myself, this person almost made it. And it's very possible if you were to travel back in time one year and have a conversation with that person, they would never imagine that they wouldn't be alive for that next Ramadan. But then you hear of that janazah of the 25-year-old young man or the 20-year-old young lady whose time came and we all know that Allah will not bring the moment a moment earlier and the time of death will not be delayed by a moment either. The Prophet really valued the month of Ramadan. And the Sahaba, when they described the Prophet in Ramadan, they used very beautiful description. How the Prophet was like a, a wind, a breeze that was beneficial. And the unique thing about a breeze that's peaceful and it brings tranquility and calmness, it isn't violent, is that as it crosses through, it does not distinguish between a tree, stone, or human being. Everyone benefits from it. And that's the description they use of Rasulullah That everyone benefited from the generosity of the Prophet when Ramadan came. Nabi tightened his waistband, which could either be kinaya and kafil jima'ah, Either it can mean Nabi was not intimate in the month of Ramadan and really pushed himself in focusing on other things. Or it could be kinaya anil juhd. Or it could be uh, an indication of Nabi pushing himself hard when someone takes on a tough task, they tie their waistband. You know, I'm ready for this. I'm ready. Bring it on. The Prophet would push himself when the month of Ramadan would come. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the month of Ramadan. He says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ First and foremost, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also re refers to this month as Ramadan. And Ramadan refers to, you know, very hot soil, something that's very hot. And the reason why they called it Ramadan is because it burns away a person's sin. Right? When a person enters into Ramadan, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so great that a person's sins are burnt away from the month of Ramadan just by being in Ramadan and doing good and offering whatever little you can offer. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduces the Qur'an with what? Shahru Ramadan al-ladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that from the great uh, greatness of this Ramadan, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used it or chose it to be the month in which the Qur'an would be revealed. So right off the bat, we have a ta'alluq and munasabah, a connection between the Qur'an and the month of Ramadan. There is a bond that exists between these two, the month of Ramadan and the Qur'an. Something we'll come back to later. But I'll share with you that Imam Malik rahmatullahi alayhi, when the month of Ramadan would come, he would close his hadith books. And for those of you who know anything about Imam Malik, his hadith gatherings were the highlight of his day. They were at the highlight of Medina Munawwara at some point. People would travel from across the world just to attend those hadith gatherings. He would close shop, close shop when the month of Ramadan would come and he would say, this is the month of the Quran. This is what we will focus on. Now, towards the end of the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ And then the following ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَيَّامْ مَعْدُودَاتِ now let's put this all together and what we see is the month of Ramadan is a special month. There are blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that descend in this month that are unrivaled. The month of the Ramadan was the month in which the Quran was revealed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to Ramadan as a limited window to benefit. These days will come and they will leave. So you have to acknowledge that these blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are only here for a small period. 30 days ahead of us may seem like a lot, but as we know from previous years, they pass by very quickly, like a breeze. It starts and it's gone. And you're standing there thinking, man, I can't wait for another one of those to come. If you can appreciate and understand that this window that we have, this opportunity is limited, you will then utilize it and then by utilizing it, you will be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the way that you thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is first and foremost 
appreciating that he has appreciating that he has given us this beautiful month of Ramadan and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq, divine inspiration, divine guidance. Oh Allah, let me do something epic this Ramadan. Let me do something special this Ramadan. Let me find new limits. Let me cross new boundaries. Let me reach a new peak this Ramadan. When a person has that goal, that aspiration, they're looking up there, that's when they will grow. Unfortunately, in our communities, the expectation for what needs to be accomplished in Ramadan is very low. Most people barely do one khatam of the Qur'an. Barely. And in all reality, that's not acceptable by most standards. How long does it take a person to read one juz? Maybe an hour if you're super slow? That basically is a testimony that a person dedicated less than an hour each day in Ramadan to doing tilaw of the Qur'an. The Qur'an refers to the month of Ramadan as الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ We need to set the bar higher. That we push ourselves. For many of us, attending taraweeh is something that's I might do, I might not do it. We have to push ourselves. That taraweeh must be done. Tilaw of the Qur'an must happen. That I need to ensure that I'm doing my tahajjud every day. We're going to wake up for suhoor anyway. Why not spend another 15 minutes of doing some tahajjud and making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did his i'tikaf every Ramadan. And it's beautiful because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would push himself, push himself throughout Ramadan, you know, non-stop. And then the last 10 nights, when we start getting exhausted from all the exhaustion from Ramadan, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't slow down. He went further. He accelerated even more. I'tikaf. 10 days of just being in the masjid, morning and evening, day and night, no distraction. I'tikaf is a very bold statement. It's when a person says to Allah, Ya Allah, I'm here for your love, for your forgiveness, for your mahabba. I want to commit everything. And these last 10 nights, I'm going to put my whole life on hold. I've even left my home now. And I'm sitting here in your home begging you, Ya Allah, for your forgiveness. I'm asking you for Jannah. It's a very bold, strong, powerful move. Now, the crown jewel of Ramadan lies in Psalm fasting. I'd like to spend some time reflecting over this now. Fasting is a very unique form of ibadah. Because when you look at a person that's fasting, you actually don't even know they're fasting. Anyone here right now could be fasting. I have a family member who today morning said to me, he's a female family member, that after years of being behind on all of my qadha fast, you know, with pregnancy and nursing and, you know, all the stuff that goes with it, she said to me, today is the first time in 14 years I will be at zero. That's a great accomplishment, mashallah, such a great accomplishment, considering that that number when I spoke to that individual not too long back was in the hundreds. And she said, today I'm going to hit zero. So then I said, man, I didn't even know you were fasting. That means all this time you were fasting for all these days. I didn't even know that. And then I smiled and I said, alhamdulillah, that's what fasting actually is. Unlike other forms of ibadah that every time we pray salah or when we do tilawah of the Quran or when we do dhikr, you know, when a person goes for hajj, there's some sort of a statement being made. You know someone's praying salah because you see them. You know a person's reading, tila, reading Quran because there's some movement of the lips and there's some sound that emerges and you might see them holding a mushaf. But fasting is such a humble, sincere act that no one knows. They say regarding sahib hidayah, alama mirghinani rahimahullah ta'ala, that he fasted for decades without his wife even knowing. She would pack lunch for him in a tiffin in a lunchbox, he would take it from home. For years, he didn't tell his wife that he was fasting. He would take it, he would give the food to the fuqara on the way there, clean the container, bring it back home empty, and give it to his wife. She was under the assumption that he had lunch every day. When in reality, the man, he spent every day for years fasting, just doing psalm, fasting and fasting. And at the end of his life, it became apparent 
that this man actually wasn't eating the food, he was giving it to the fuqara and he was fasting. That's the beautiful thing about fasting. That no one knows. It's your secret between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's for this reason, the Prophet tells us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in a hadith al-Qudsi, that for every good deed, Allah multiplies it by ten folds all the way until up to how many? 700 folds. Except for fast. Because fasting is for me and I will reward for it directly. And in one reading of that riwayah, that I will be the reward of it. That a person who fasts for me and they do that fast solely for my sake, this is what they will get out of it. They will get the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam takes an oath and then says, the smell that emerges from the mouth of the fasting person is more beloved to Allah than the fragrance of musk. Now bear in mind, this is not talking about smell that results uh, due to uh, excessive plaque in your mouth, bad oral hygiene. That's not what this is talking about. Nabi wasallam was very particular. He always did his miswak. This smell is referring to smell that emerges from the stomach of a person due to hunger towards the last hours of the day. And that's why some jurists mention that during those last hours of the day, a person should even stop doing miswak. Let that smell emerge. It's a result of hunger and it's a testimony of your sacrifice and love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In one narration, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That indeed, verily, he leaves his passion, his food, his drink, all for my sake. Innama, he only left it. Lilhasab. He only left these things for my sake. Why else are you staying hungry? And this is an important point that as Ramadan approaches and as we enter into the season of fasting, rectify your intentions. Everyone here wants to drop 10 pounds. Everyone here wants to drop 15 pounds. And that could be something that you take into consideration or an after the thought benefit that exists somewhere down the list of benefits that you're expecting from Ramadan. But don't have diet as the primary benefit or your primary goal this Ramadan. Don't let that be what you measure every morning and every evening. That that's what you're trying to accomplish. Because if you do, you're selling yourself way too short. There's so much more you can get out of this Ramadan if you wish to. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the benefit of Ramadan is taqwa. Kutiba alaykum as Perhaps you will be conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that Allah says that indeed the servant abandons his passion, his food, his drink, all for my sake. So his fast is for me. So fasting is for me. And I will reward with it. Similarly, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that that from the gates of Jannah, Allah has allocated one gate specifically, and it is named Arrayan. Only those who fasted will enter from it. Those who fasted will enter from it. Similarly, the Prophet said again. Uh, that for the fasting person, there are two great moments of joy. There will be one joy that you experience every day at the time of iftar, when you can smell the samosas, or you can see the ruhafza, or you can see the juice in front of you. There is a joy there, there is a happiness. Or another way of looking at this is, the joy at the time of iftar is in the fact that you know the dua that you're making in those moments is also accepted by Allah. Those duas are also accepted by Allah. 
That's another way of looking at that joy. The joy might be in the thought itself, or it might be in the pleasure that Alhamdulillah, I just accomplished another fast. Alhamdulillah, I, may, I have the opportunity to make dua and ask from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لِسَّائِمِ farhatan, farhatun inda iftarihi. And then the second joy, the second great moment of happiness will be وَفَرْحَةٌ عِنْدَ لِقَاءِ رَبِّهِ That when that person meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward uh, beyond the understanding or beyond the comprehension of that person. In another riwayah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, إِذَا دَخَلَ شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ That when the month of Ramadan enters, فُتِحَتْ أَبْوَابُ الْجَنَّةِ the gates of Jannah are flung open, wide open. And the gates of the fire of hell are closed. And the shayateen are locked away. The doors of Jannah are open, therefore, a'mal that lead to Jannah will become easy. The doors to the fire of hell are closed, meaning acts that usually bring a person close to the fire of hell will become difficult. They will be less desirable, less pleasurable. And the shayateen are locked away. Therefore, the waswasa that a person experiences on the nafs of the human being, all these whispers of shaitan will decrease. Now bear in mind, even though all of this is offered to the person that is fasting, some people may choose to ignore all of these blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and choose to treat it as just another month and not benefit from those doors being opened. They may not benefit from the fire of hell being locked and closed and the shayateen being chained away because they've become representatives of shaitan in an embodiment of themselves. There is no need for a shaitan when you have yourself, when your nafs is this strong and doused in the love of shaitan. What shaitan do you need then? Your nafs will do that job. The doors of Jannah could be wide open. But people who don't take initiative will always be those who complain and say, well, Allah didn't have mercy on me. Allah didn't guide me. These ahadith are all fabricated and made up. I didn't see any benefit. Rather than turning to yourself and focusing and asking yourself that what preparation did you make for Ramadan? What dua did you make for Ramadan? What schedule routine did you push yourself towards in Ramadan? Ask this question first. As the Urdu poet said, that when the servant said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, look at my state, it's all a big mess. The Ummah is broken and we're drowning in misery. Look at my state. God responded, Look at your deeds first. Then come and complain against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the Quran tells us, وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِن مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَيَعْفُ عَنْ كَثِيرٌ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pardons and pardons, yet on the other hand, we continue to rack up on those sins and keep adding and keep adding. Allahumma fadna, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Now, when it comes to fasting, specifically the month of Ramadan, Keep in mind the fast of Ramadan are fard, they're obligatory. Now usually when we invoke this term that something is obligatory, that connotates that there is a legal implication for missing it. That's what obligation means to people. Where that is true in a pure legal sense, let me share something else with you. When we were students, in madrasa, this was right towards the end of our my studies in in England, and at this point I had been studying Sharia for nine years. Alhamdulillah. One day our Sheikh came to class and he asked us a question. He said, "What does Sharia mean?" Now this is a very simple word. In reality, a student who studied a few days of Islamic law will be able to define Sharia for you. Anyone that studied basic usul al-fiqh knows the definition of sharia. Our sheikh asking us this question at this point in our studies, it was a little tricky. We kind of knew that he was throwing a curveball here. There was something else that he was trying to get at. 
Nonetheless, the students engage. Someone said Islamic law. Someone said it's a path you walk on. And then they give all those explanations. At the end of it, he said, these are all definitions. I ask you for the meaning of it. And he said the meaning of Sharia in reality, a combination of all of those matters and all those umur, all those things that are so beloved to Allah that if the, if the lover acts upon them, they will find the love of the beloved. Now when you look at it from this perspective, it goes from carrying that daunting legal definition to now almost like a cheat book. That these are all things that if I do them in this priority, they are most beloved to Allah and I'm set. It's like someone who's going to take their spouse for their very first anniversary meal. Maybe they'll ask some friends and family members, what is this person like? What kind of gifts do they like? What kind of food do they like? I'm still figuring it all out. Would they enjoy this? Would they enjoy that? Or maybe you're planning your honeymoon and you ask friends and family, what kind of things should I go for? I want it to be a surprise. And then someone says this, someone says that. There's a chance in my work, there's a chance that their friends actually don't know their friend as much as they thought they were. Friends. You might botch it all up. The beauty of revelation is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving it to you. That you don't need to guess with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't need to surprise Allah. Allah is saying, I will accept your deed from you. Just make sure it's in line with the Quran and Sunnah. Simple. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying, you don't have to do any guesswork when it comes to attracting the love of Allah. All you need to do is follow me Imitate me and I'll get you there. How easy and simple is that? Alhamdulillah. Now this doesn't take away because every human being still wants their own spin to the relationship, right? If, every, if we had every line dotted out and we were just told that follow these lines and you've drawn a picture, the third time around, what would you say? This doesn't really feel like drawing. I feel like you're not taking me seriously. So those matters that are more delicate, and more specific, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught us and said, don't stray from this. But other areas, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam opened it up and said, do as you will here. Your dua, your adhkar, as you wish. It's your, it's your canvas. Paint how you want. Invoke Allah, talk to Allah as you want. Right? Now when we keep this in mind, let's come back to this statement that fasting in the month of Ramadan is obligatory. It's fun. What this means now from a spiritual perspective is this is on the top priority list of things that attracts the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The act is beloved to Allah. The amal is beloved to Allah. The zaman, the time is beloved to Allah. And the fact that it's 30 days or 29 days consecutively and the whole ummah is doing it together means that it's now a communal ibadah which is also beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's 30 days continuously so now you're really pushing yourself. One thing is someone uh, diets every Monday and Thursday, and the other thing is they diet for 30 days straight. The results are going to be there. So continuous fasting, continuous, really building yourself and pushing yourself to being a better version of yourself. So Ramadan, the fast is obligatory. What that means is if you focus here, you can gain a lot of benefit. Not just a lot of it, the truth is you might be able to gain most of the benefit fasting has to offer if you do it properly and right in Ramadan. Now if you continue it after Ramadan, nurun ala nur, even better. But just Ramadan itself will get you a lot of benefit. It's a mercy. Now let's go back to the legal sense of it for a moment before we move forward. Legally, what's the ruling of fasting in Ramadan? It's fard. Alhamdulillah, it's fard. Otherwise, we all know that if Ramadan, if fasting was not further than Ramadan, many of us wouldn't fast one day of our life. Am I right or wrong? And if you think I'm exaggerating, look back at your last 300 and some days. You don't have to go far. How many days have you fasted this from this year? And how many amazing excuses have you had on the days you planned to fast? All very important life-altering events were happening exactly at that time. All the life-altering events happen right when a person intends to do ibadah. This is the waswasa of shaitan. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الشَّيْطَانُ يَعِذُكُمُ الْفَقْرَ وَيَأْمُرُكُمْ بِالْفَحْشَاءِ وَاللَّهُ يَعِذُكُمْ مَغْفِرَةً مِّنْهُ وَفَضْلًا That shaitan and Allah's promises are the opposite. 
Shaitan keeps making you miserable in this world and faulty promises. And if you do this, that'll happen. If you do that, if you go for Hajj, who's going to pay for the down payment? Like he keeps putting weird thoughts in your mind, random weird thoughts. Like if you do wudu right now, don't you know you're going to be cold? Random thoughts. The guy just came out of the swimming pool five minutes ago. Obviously, I'm Hanafi, he's already got wudu. I'm talking about the jamhur here. That's a nerdy joke. If you don't understand, don't worry about it. Okay. So had it not been for fasting in Ramadan being obligatory, how many of us would even fast one day in our life? We have a long list of excuses of why we shouldn't fast. The nafs is excellent at this, by the way. Let me tell you guys this. I always tell my students this, that the nafs, the one thing it is very good at is what, guys? Excuses. Whenever you intend to do a good deed, the nafs will come to you with an excuse. I'm about to go for taraweeh. Really? It's not even fard. Don't you know accepting the invitation of a fellow Muslim brother and you know staying until dessert is also a righteous thing to do? You're like, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad argument. You know, the tea isn't going to drink itself. They put so much hard work into it. I'm going to stay behind Farawi. We'll do it at home alone. And we all know how that ends. That luckily, Farawi isn't far. Otherwise, we'd have a lot of qada to do there as well. Alhamdulillah. Nabi was worried about that for the Ummah, by the way. This is why he didn't pray Salah, Tarawi Salah publicly in consecutive days. You guys know this? Why? Because Nabi was worried that it would become Fard. A mercy for all the worlds. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali has a discussion on fasting. In his Ihya Ulum al-Din, he has a chapter, Asrar Asrar al-Sawm Asrar al-Sawm wa shurutuhu al-Batina The secrets of fasting and its internal conditions. By the way, this chapter of his is after the previous chapter. If you check the Ihya, the first chapter in this, in, on, his, on his Kitab al-Sawm, the first chapter on fasting he has dedicated to the legal rulings. So he talks about shurut al-Zahira. What are the legal implications? What are things you must avoid? What are things that must be done for your fast to be legally correct? The second then, he then talks about shurut al-Batin, the internal conditions. There he says, That no, verily fasting is of three grades. Sawm al-Umum, wa sawm al-Khusus, wa sawm al-Khusus al-Khusus. The fast of the common people, Sawm al-Umum, Sawm al-Khusus, the fast of the special servants of Allah. Then he has a third one, Sawm al-Khusus al-Khusus, that among those selected, the elite servants of Allah, what their fast looks like. أَمَّا صَوْمُ الْعُمُومُ فَهُوَ كَفُّ الْبَطَنِ وَالْفَرَجِ عَنْ قَضَاءِ الشَّهْوَةِ كَمَا سَبَقَ تَفْصِيلُهُ So he says, the first one, which is the fast of the average person, it is to avoid um, fulfilling, avoid food, drink, and sexual activity. And he says, as previously mentioned, because I told you guys, the first chapter was about what? The, the legal uh, considerations for fasting. The thing about this fast is that if you avoid food, drink, and sexual activity from the break of dawn till the setting of the sun with a valid intention, legally you've ticked off that box that you have fasted. Alhamdulillah, fasting was complete. So in terms of the hereafter, there's no accountability or um, punishment for missing the fast. But at the same time, there is no spiritual benefit in this unless you elevate your fast to the second and third tier. What good is there in a fast if a person is fasting but sleeps all day and skips their dhuhr asr salah? What good is there in that fast? What taqwa is there there? What good is there in a fast that a person literally kills the hours of the day by sitting like a zombie in front of the TV and just watching and numbing their hunger by staring at the TV? What good is there in that fast? What good is there in a fast that a person that's sitting all day listening to random, horrible, inappropriate garbage music? That's what they're doing in their fast. What are you going to get out of that Ramadan? What are you going to get out of that Psalm? 
regarding this Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, كَمْ مِنْ صَائِمٍ لَيْسَ لَهُ مِنْ صِيَامِهِ إِلَّا ظَمَأ That how many of such people are there? The only thing they gain from their fast is what? Huh? Vama. What does that mean? Thirst. That's all they gain. وَكَمْ مِنْ قَائِمٍ لَيْسَ لَهُ مِنْ قِيَامِهِ إِلَّا السَّهَرِ And how many such people are there? The only thing they gain from, gain from standing at night is exhaustion, tiredness. That's all they gain. There was no ibadah, no taqwa, no love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some people go to Makkah Mukarramah and Medina Munawwara as tourists. So they come back with pictures and they come back with all sorts of fancy gifts and they have, you know, a special trinket for every person. And there's another person that comes back, they may not have pictures, they may not have trinkets and gifts and souvenirs for people, but their heart experience Makkah Mukarramah and Medina Munawwara. Basarat kho gai, lekin basirat to salamat hai. Medina humne dekha hai, magar nadida nadida. Right? That some people see Medina with their eyes, while others see it with their hearts. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to see Haramayna Sharifain with our hearts. That you go there and you actually uh, engage and you, you really color yourself in that color. Right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiyah. The second, amma sawmul khusus. As for the second tier, which is the fast of the select servants of Allah. فَهُوَ كَفُّ السَّمْعِ وَالْبَصَرِ وَالْلِسَانِ وَالْيَدِ وَالْرِجْلِ وَسَائِرٍ جَوَارِحِ عَنِ الْإِثْمِ The second tier of fasting is what we may say in addition to the first one, in addition to meeting the legal definition, you also fast with your limbs. So here, not only is your stomach and your private area fasting, but all of your limbs are also fasting. Where now you don't engage in sin. You've made it a point that I will not look at haram this Ramadan and that's final. If that means no social media, let it burn in the fire of hell. I'm not going to touch it. If that means that I have to turn the radio off and turn the TV off, let it happen. I, inshallah, will not actively disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My gaze will be lowered this Ramadan. I will not eat haram. I will not backbite. I will not slander. I won't be abusive to another person. Therefore, the Prophet ﷺ said, while one of you is fasting, if they get into an altercation, what should they say? He should say, I'm fasting. Why is that? This is, this, this is your way of telling the other person, let it go. And telling that person, I'm not going to go any further. This is the end of it. Right? So therefore, this hadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam saying, inni that when one of you is fasting and he gets angry, he should say, I am fasting and not engage further. I like this narration a lot because it shows us that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is teaching us that for every worship to Allah, there should be an added value added in your human interactions. That when I finish my salah, that should deliver me back to people as a better human being. Think about this. We start salah by addressing Allah. Allahu Akbar. We finish salah by addressing the people around us. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. It's as if we're saying that my ascension and my journey to Allah and back has now delivered me as a better person. My commitment to you is Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. May Allah's peace be with you. I come with peace returning back to you. So the same thing here Nabi Sallallahu teaches us. Because look, when you stay hungry, I feel like making a, a dad joke. Should I do it? Should I do it? If you're hungry, you're hangry. Right? You're going to get angry. And everyone knows, you know, how rough it gets when you're unsettled and you're off balance and your head's hurting a little bit. If someone says one word or the salt's a little off or whatever it is, the house is a little messy or the kids are making a little extra noise or, you know, whatever it is, you just get worked up about things. Don't take it off under the people. Because if your hunger leads you to anger and that leads to violation of the rights of other people, you've lost the reward of your fast. As for that highest tier of fast, may Allah give us this fast, inshallah. If not the whole Ramadan, one fast. And if not one fast, at least aim to accomplish this in the last hours of each fast of yours between Asr and Maghrib. At least that much, try to, try to aim for this. 
So the first was a legal fast. The second one was a the fasting of the limbs. The third one is the fasting of the heart. And this is the fast. Sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. That the third grade of fasting is for a person to fast and prevent their heart from lowly considerations and worldly thoughts and to not engage in any thought other than Allah. That's why I said, if not every, if not the whole Ramadan, one day where we just focus on the dhikr of Allah. And if that's too much, at least between Asr and Maghrib every day. Pray your Asr Salah, don't get up from your Musallah until the thought is done. And if not that, this is what I'tikaf is for. Remember at the beginning we talked about I'tikaf? This is where that comes in together. This is what I'tikaf is for, for this level. That in this level of fasting, you basically have missed out your goal the moment you start engaging in worldly thoughts. When you become distracted from Allah. This level of fasting is about you pushing yourself and saying that I will do my best to fulfill the purpose of this heart and why Allah created it, and that is to focus on Allah. Remember when you're fasting, just a few closing points, then we'll break for salah. Just one or two closing points. Remember when you're fasting, out of thought, don't overindulge. Don't eat too much. When a person starves their body, their ruh is empowered. And if you end up pounding a whole bucket of chicken wings, at the end of your fast, you're kind of missing the point. That stomach probably makes dua again. So, Ya Allah, I can't wait for Ramadan to be over. This guy's really stretching me to my limits. Outside Ramadan, at least it was paste. Now it's all at once. So don't eat too much at the end of your fast. Um, similarly, Imam Ghazali points out, That from the adab of fasting in Ramadan is don't sleep too much during the day. So you can feel the hunger and thirst. So you can feel it. And you can feel the weakness settling into your body. Because at that moment, your heart is being purified. When you experience that weakness. Right? Similarly, and this is the last point we'll mention. He points out, every day as you break your fast don't get too comfortable let yourself feel a little challenged and unrested because you should be wondering at this point, was my fast accepted by Allah or not? That was this fast accepted by Allah, and I am from those that are beloved to Allah, the maqbuleen. Or was my fast rejected, and I am from those that, um, that, were, that have received the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he says, And this should be the state of the person at the end of every ibadah. Therefore, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa when he would end his salah, one of the first statements he would say is Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. Similarly, in Suratul uh, Nasr, what do we see there? There, Allah talks about how Fatah Makkah will occur and people will enter into Islam in troves. So then he is told to repent to Allah. Ibn Abbas, when asked by Umar, for the interpretation of the surah. He said to him that comment on the surah. So Ibn Abbas said, This hadith, this surah of the Quran is indicative to the passing of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
The Sahaba that were sitting there were shocked. Where does it say anything about Nabi Sallallahu passing away? So Ibn Umar said to him, clarify. Sorry, Umar said to Ibn Abbas clarify. How does this surah mention Nabi Sallallahu is going to pass away? So he said, the main goal of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi was mentioned. That Makkah Mukarramah was conquered. People are entering in Islam into in, 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 in large groups. So then at the end of it, once his goal is accomplished, Allah told him to do istighfar. And the matter of end of all matters is istighfar. That when istighfar is seen, therefore some scholars who master in, in dream interpretation, they say that when a person sees themselves doing istighfar and tawbah abundantly in their dream, this could be indicative to their time in the dunya coming to an end. Wallahu alam swab. These are dream interpretations and obviously they're open to interpretation. Each person looks at it from a different perspective. Khulasatul um, kalam. We are approaching Ramadan. Allahumma balighna Ramadan. The three days that remain, make the most out of them. Push yourself. Make this dua abundantly. Oh Allah, allow us to reach Ramadan. Push yourself this Ramadan and set a new goal. Something that's above and beyond. Remove your distractions. Uh, you know, just align yourself with the masajid. Lock in your sight, the front self of the masjid. Be here all the time. Instead of spending time at home, find your local masjid and be there. I say this to the brothers and sisters. For those of you who can make niyyah of doing your thought of the masjid every day. So that way you're in the right environment. You're in the right place. Ramadan, ayyamun ma'adudat. As the Quran mentions, it's a season and it'll pass. If you appreciate it, make the most of it by investing in your tahajjud, investing in your tilawa, investing in your dua, investing in your atika, investing in your psalm. You will be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.